Welcome to the Diversity in Action podcast, presented by the BLX Internship Program. Join us as our hosts, Luis Rosa and Sean Tidlaska, interview guests from across the financial planning field to highlight the real change that's happening in our industry. If you are tired of just talking about diversity and want to learn what others are doing to make the demographics of our profession more closely match the population of this country, this podcast is for you. Welcome to another episode of Diversity in Action. I'm your co-host, Louis Rosa. And I'm Sean Tidlaska. Thank you, everyone, for tuning in. We have a very special guest today, a big supporter of our organization, and we're just proud to have him here because he's doing amazing work in the industry, and you're going to learn about all the great things that he's doing to help people enter the industry and stay in the industry as well. So I'll let Sean introduce him. Take it away, Sean. All right. I'm excited to welcome Dr. Barry Mulholland. He is working to prepare the next generation of financial services professionals for our growing and changing industry. He's the Director of Financial Planning and an Associate Professor of Practice at the University of Akron. He has a PhD in Financial Planning from Texas Tech. His bio could go on and on. I thought it was interesting. He also has a mechanical engineering degree from undergrad. Wow. And one of the things that we'll talk a lot about in this podcast is he's the founder of Diversitas. Thank you for including BLX with Diversitas. Part of the audience for this podcast is aspiring financial planners, and we want to give exposure to different pathways into the profession. And if you wouldn't mind telling us a little bit about your career path, how you got started, how you got to where you are today. And if you don't mind going back even further to when you were growing up, I was reading about you and learning how you grew up in a foster family and how it was kind of like your life's mission to share your learnings with others from that experience. So I think that would be interesting for everyone to kind of learn a little bit about you. And sure. yeah, we'll start there. Okay. Well, thanks, Sean. I appreciate it. Thanks, Louis. I'm excited to be here with you. And I love partnering with you and BLX. And, you know, we've got a great team at Diversitas and they're all excited. Just the possibilities of where we can go. So my background is a little varied. Some people look at it and say, you haven't focused. And I look at it and say, I've just had an incredible career. So I don't need to look at this linear path and say that I was a success that way. Yeah, I'm one of eight boys in my birth family, number seven. So I was one of the younger ones. And unfortunately, my parents in the late 60s decided to divorce. And back then, divorce was challenging, especially for women, single women who had children. We struggled, but our family was a poor family. Some of the lessons I saw were somebody who was trying to save when there wasn't a lot of money and somebody who would spend every dime they could find. And so I was kind of stuck between those two lessons, you know, challenged myself at times to say, I can spend, I've got some resources, I can enjoy myself a little bit. Those were some of the challenges. Because of our family situation, the difficulties of that, my mother was forced at one point to put some of us in foster home and Others headed off to family members when we were without housing for a while. And then other family dynamics played into where eventually I was permanently placed in foster care at about the age of nine. I was very, very fortunate in that I ended up and stayed with one foster family throughout my time. And I know a lot of foster kids see a lot of different families. And some of my brothers saw multiple families, but I was very fortunate to end up with a middle-class entrepreneurial family. So a very different mindset, very different approach to a world. Again, saw different things, opportunities that opened up that I probably wouldn't have seen 
had that been the case. Certainly, those are influences in my life and the career choices and the things that I've done. I did study mechanical engineering. I was the first in my family ever to go to college. I didn't know what we didn't know. So learned some tough lessons because we didn't even know about applying for college and thought you applied after you finished your senior year or didn't understand. And so I'm most of the way through my senior year and a guidance counselor who was not my guidance counselor was asking me about what college I was going to go to. And at that point, I had been an exchange student. I'd actually lived overseas. And so he was expecting I was going to go to some great college. And it was like, I don't know, I haven't applied yet. And he was just shocked that unfortunately, <laughs> I did not have a good academic advisor or, or guidance counselor in high school. So he jumped in, he helped me get into community college, helped kind of set me on that path to move forward. Struggled with it a little bit and loved it. I loved school. I absolutely loved learning. Wasn't sure that I was in the right path. And so I took a year off to kind of go find myself and worked a minimum wage job for a year and said, I don't ever want to do this again. And that was a great motivation to go back and finish my degree. I had met some engineers and they talked to me about the fact that I was great with math. I love problem solving. I love looking at situations. I love building things. I'm a hands-on person. And so they encouraged me to get a degree in engineering. And that's what I did. I was fortunate to get a scholarship, a later stage scholarship. And I finished my mechanical engineering degree at the University of Miami in Florida. And I think that's really kind of where the path of working with diversity really got started. The fact that I lived overseas, I lived in Australia, saw a different part of the world, you know, different culture, certainly saw some of the challenges they were having in their own country around diversity. And so I got a sense of some of that, but they were also already integrating culture because they had a lot of immigrants from around the world. And that was really where I got some of my first experiences with diversity and being a part of that. Because where I grew up in the upper Midwest, it was not diverse. And in fact, the language of my youth was kind of against diversity. And so to be able to step out of that and see that the world is very different than my little niche of the world, which is becoming much more diverse where I grew up. That really kind of opened my eyes. And so when I had the chance to go to University of Miami, which is known as an international university, just again, opened my eyes even more. I lived in the international house and I was resident assistants. And so I got to know my roommates were from Puerto Rico, the Bahamas, and I think it was Jamaica. The first time I ever lived with people of African descent and found out that they're no different than me. All of these stereotypes that I'd learned as a kid were just that. They were stories, they were stereotypes, they were unknown. So again, I think that's where a lot of this really got started for me. From there, I finished my degree in mechanical engineering. I was invited into management with one of the largest consumer product companies in the country. Had a great experience. They actually sent me back to the upper Midwest, back to a place I wasn't expecting to go ever in my career because I loved being elsewhere. But Great experience. I was glad I ended up back in Green Bay, Wisconsin, met my wife there, and we've been married now 33 years, so certainly appreciate that opportunity. But again, opportunities just to work a very diverse group of people. That company I was with promoted diversity. This was back in the late 80s. And so a lot of my young managers, young engineers were very diverse people. The more I was exposed, the more I just really loved the idea that diversity brings so many different experiences. 
And yet through all of this, I continue to have to go back and question and fight against some of those natural stereotypes. They say natural, they were embedded stereotypes from my youth. And I continue at times to catch myself. It's like, wait a minute, that's somebody else's story. Let me get back to where I am. Wow. One of eight sons. I have one yeah. son. Um, yeah. <laughs> and yeah. he is a handful and I uh, could can't imagine. Yeah. There's only 14 years difference between the oldest and the youngest. So you can imagine chaos wow. that comes from eight boys. <laughs> yeah, that sounds <laughs> like a handful. It is. It is. So yeah, I didn't grow up with sisters. And that again was a piece that wasn't ingrained. I will say my foster family, I love them dearly. I'm very, very close. I'm very fortunate that I have two wonderful families that I'm a part of and truly a part of that family, especially having had one. The day after my 20th birthday, they had their second child, a little girl. And so now I've got a little sister. I was in college at the time. I was around to help babysit and she and I are close and it's great. So I've, again, had those experiences develop as time goes on. Yeah, so I'm very fortunate to have these two wonderful families. It made a very interesting big wedding when my wife and I got married. Oh, I bet. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, thank you for sharing that. Appreciate it. You're welcome. So how did you come about financial planning, you know, from like mechanical engineering? How did that come about? With the mechanical engineering, I went into management and used the mechanical engineering to some extent to understand the technology we were working with, but really not doing mechanical engineering work. I did engineering sales for about four years out of that job and then ended up actually working in human resources. As I was looking to change jobs, I got to know a recruiter who ended up inviting me into his business to recruit engineers because I could talk to them. And we ended up creating a new business and we, we had a great business. The partnership didn't work out, but the business was great. So I had transitioned from management into human resources and did that for a while. When I sold out of the business and stepped away, it just happened that my own financial advisor, who was introduced to me by my foster parents, he called when I was transferred back to Wisconsin. He found out I was in town, called me, got me started on a path of financial planning. And because he had been recommended, I don't know that other than the 401k at work and a little bit of savings, I don't know that I would have gone down the path that I did. But the fact that they recommended him, I gave him time, sat down with him. He laid out a really important reasons, even for a young single man to get started in planning. And so we had a great relationship. And it just happened the day after I sold out of my business. I hadn't even called him yet. He called me to talk about the business. And I had to share with him that I had sold it. Wow. And he said, well, good. You're going to come to work for me. Wow. <laughs> and I was like, I am not selling insurance. I'm sorry. It was an insurance-based financial planning firm. And he's like, no, no, it's more than that. Really, you got to come spend time with us. And and this was in the later 90s. They were really moving down that path of planning, not just planning to set up the stage for sales, but planning to really help people. And as a business owner, I actually had a natural market with other business owners. And it was really much more about planning. Yes, we had these tools. We were using the tools. Some cases, they were the entry point. But a lot of times... I went into situations not knowing what the clients needed and really doing the goal setting. And that's where I learned the financial planning process and just fell in love with it. I always kid my students because we get engineering students will switch over to financial planning. And I always tell them it's it's financial engineering. We learn the same things. It's about risk management. 
It's about looking at the situation and finding the best solution that you can manage the risks around that. It's about structurally looking at and following a process. It's going back and maintaining that process, understanding where the weaknesses are, fixing those as you go forward. It really is an engineering approach to finances. And so it just fit me naturally and it plays on my extroversion. I'm an easy person to talk to. And the two of them just fit really well and had a great time as a financial planner. It was interesting because I had gone back to get an MBA having had no business degree or business education and made some great connections at a local university in Wisconsin, one of the state universities. The dean became a friend and mentor. And after I'd been in the industry for about five years, financial planning industry, he called me one day and said, we want to do a course on personal finance for our students. How would you love to come in and teach that? And so it was kind of, that was the transition from, gee, they think of me as a financial planner. Yay. Now I'm going to go and teach that and fell in love with teaching. And so it was a couple of year period of a transition from working as a financial planner. Our family situation had changed a little bit. And, you know, I needed a little bit more stability from that standpoint, but I just love teaching. And so I transitioned into becoming a finance professor, specifically teaching financial planning and business risk management and, you know, basic finance concepts. So, wow. Yeah, it was just amazing that it went the direction that it did. Yeah, such a cool story. You know, it's so true. Like financial planning is like science, art, and some teaching in there as well. And, you know, it's interesting that you mentioned when you first got the opportunity, you were like, I'm not selling insurance. And that's one of the reasons why the BLX internship program has partnered with fee-only financial planning firms so that the interns that come through are exposed to direct financial planning and not placed in a role where they have to cold call or try to sell a product to anyone. Mm -hmm. You know, as we find that to be a barrier to entry, because sometimes when you come in that route, not everybody wants to be a salesperson, you know, or has that skill set. So yeah, very interesting. We'll come back to that, Lewis, when we talk a little bit later about what we're doing at Diversitas, because we as program directors, and I've been doing this now for over 20 years, on the education side and then program director on and off for the last 15, 16 years of that. What drove us to do some of the work that we did, that my colleagues especially did around putting together this whole concept of there are multiple on-ramps or multiple places in which to use this background was for the very reason that we had students that were getting hired by investment firms just to sell investment products, or they were getting hired by insurance firms just to sell insurance products in their internships. And they were doing two or three months stint as an intern in what was really a sales role, and they didn't know it was a sales role. Mm -hmm. And then they painted the whole industry that way. And they left our programs. And we all saw that as a problem. So I love the fact that you're focused on, let's take that piece of it out. Let's get them to understand the industry first. And then some of them are going to migrate there. And that's wonderful. We need folks in those right. areas. Absolutely. But let's give them a broader view. Yeah, you bring up another great point, which is, you know, once somebody goes through that process and doesn't like it, sometimes they don't stay. And I think that is just so terrible for our industry, because when people get exposed first to the industry, like you said, they just paint the entire industry that way. You know, I remember like I've always told the story about my nephew. He same exact thing. He got into an internship and the whole thing was write down the list of 100 names of the closest people, you know, and then try and sell them some sort of insurance for the entire time of the internship. 
And he's not in the industry today. And, you know, very smart, talented kid. And I know he would have made a great advisor or be in a different part of wealth management, but he didn't stay. I mean, he was definitely turned off by it, you know, and now he's doing something completely different. And it's just a shame, you know. Yeah. And that's the piece I think we want him that, you know, it's part of what we're doing with Diversitas. Certainly I do it on a regular basis. I just came back from an industry conference where there were about 65 students from around the country. And some of the conversations were around where are those entry points and where are, what are the opportunities? And don't let that one experience here paint the whole picture. You know, if you want to get a better picture, do three internships. I had that conversation on the flight back with one of my own students who's at an internship. She loves the people she's working with, but not really sure about the structure. And they're offering her a permanent position. And so it was questions around, have you tried something else? Well, no. Do you want to try something else? Because sometimes trying something else makes you go back to the first thing and say, yeah, that was the right place. I was lucky I got in there first. But trying this other thing helps to solidify that. So. I always look at every experience as positive, even if it means you're changing at the end of the experience, because you learn something about yourself that, in fact, you needed to learn so that you don't maybe, I don't want to say waste the time, but you don't go down a path that you're not going to be happy. That's not attuned more to who you are. Yeah, I remember when I was learning about the industry and just starting in the profession, I was kind of embarrassed to say I was a financial planner because it was on the heels of like Bernie Madoff. And if I say that to just someone on the street or like in on an airplane, I'm sure they'd be like, okay, this guy's going to try and sell me something. <laughs> and I was reading interview that you did. And part of what you did at the school was work with the career counselors to educate them on what financial planning is about. And I know that there's diversitas out there. And this podcast is about sharing what actionable things are happening in the industry around DEI. Would you mind sharing what Diversitas does? And also maybe kind of the origin story of it as well. Like where did you come up with the idea and get started? Sure. Thanks, Sean. Yeah, it is great. And that's really kind of the founding of Diversitas was around this idea that I was hired in seven years ago, a little over seven years ago now, to the University of Akron. They had a great program, been around for a long time, wasn't growing really needed to. And there's a really strong and thriving financial planning industry in Northeast Ohio, where the university is, but there's also opportunities all over Ohio, all over the Midwest and around the country. And so what they were looking for is somebody to come in and just kind of help to grow the program. And some of the early conversations that I had as I came on board, we were winning national contests. Our students were fantastic. They were beating some of the top names in educational programs. Oh, wow. And yet locally, people in Akron didn't even know we had a financial planning program in the area, had no idea. So part of it was, how do we get the word out? How do we do that? The CFP board at the time just recently come out with their women's initiative white paper. And in it, it had a call to action about you know taking what we're learning and connecting it out into the industry with professionals and with students and with career changers. And how do we do that? So kind of those two things. And then one of the companies had stepped up. We had an alumni in a leadership role with Schwab and Charles Schwab and company. And he came in and said, you know, I've got a little bit of marketing money. I would love to do something to help grow the program, to help support the program. What ideas do you have? And it was kind of like the win initiative at the CFP board. 
the fact we needed to do some recruiting, the fact that there was some money that was available to support it, that was really where I said, you know, maybe we can create some sort of a recruiting opportunity. But my experience was we can't just talk at the students as a faculty member. There's an old saying in my family that an expert is somebody who lives 100 miles away. And we experienced that in my own family. I have family members that won't talk to me. Mm -hmm. I've got a PhD in financial planning. They won't talk to me because it's too personal. It's too close. (laughs) They would rather work with somebody else. Been there. So for me, I knew that if I could get students, and I've been experiencing this when I was teaching at Texas Tech, when I was teaching at the University of Wisconsin at Oshkosh, that if I could get students in front of professionals, the professionals just talking about their profession would excite the students. So the idea was, let's create just a symposium, a little forum, and let's bring together students and professionals and get them talking to each other across the table. But I also knew that we needed a multiplying effect, and nobody was doing this at the time. And that multiplying effect was we needed advocates to advocate for the profession, for the degree programs. And I knew that some of the most challenging people that I had to deal with were actually the parents of students because the parents have their biases. The student goes home and says to mom and dad, hey, by the way, I'm going to do a degree in financial planning. And the parents say, oh, no, no, you're not going into sales. And that's because, again, that was the belief at the time. So my thought, I would love to get parents to come to Diversitas. But if anything, the career, the high school counselors, back to my high school counseling experience, If we could educate the high school counselors to understand what financial planning was, they can be a great advocate. They can be a multiplying effect of encouraging students to consider this as a career path. What I was surprised to find was that our own academic advisors had not been exposed fully to what we did. They understood the courses, but they didn't understand what a financial planner did. So they couldn't fully put it together to explain it to the students that they were advising. And so we invited those folks and we call that whole group career influencers. It's high school counselors, academic advisors at universities. We've had pastors come in. We reach out to outplacement professionals for career changers. They don't think of financial planning as a career path. They'll look at a skill set of somebody who loves to do planning, who's good at working with people who's okay with the numbers, but really just loves to help people, financial planning isn't even on their radar. Again, we've had pastors come, we've reached out, and we understood we wanted to improve diversity. Certainly, we were looking at women first because of the women's initiative, but I also knew we needed to look at more than that. We needed to look at the African-American community, having come from Texas, the Latinx community. We needed to look at LGBTQ community. And so those were where we really took it from. We started off as the Women in Diversity Symposium and found the name Diversitas, the Latin root for the word diversity. And that's where Diversitas came on board because we knew we needed it to go beyond just identifying these groups. You know, one of the big areas of diversity that we need in the industry is actually age diversity. Yes. Certainly, we think about the demographic piece of it from a gender or an ethnicity or race standpoint. We need age diversity. The numbers are still skewed heavily 50 and older. I think the statistic still is there are more advisors over the age of 70 than under the age of 30. Yeah. So it it says there's great opportunity, but we need to have that younger group coming in. And the money, 
the development of, of money and habits at the early ages is just tremendous. I was talking to a young man at this recent conference who went, is finishing up his college degree, but went to a high school where several of his high school friends have now gone into the NFL or into the NBA. And they're talking to him as a finance student. They're asking him questions about finance. If he's trained as a financial planner, think of the impact he can have on not only that athlete friend of his, but the generational effect that that will have for that young athlete, whole family going forward, generationally. And so I think those are some of the things that we really wanted to look at. And that's where Diversitas came together. We really focus on there are three groups. There are the professionals who are in the industry, who love the industry. They talk about it openly. There's the next generation. Certainly, we're focused heavily on students, but it's also career changers. It is those folks that want it, that change. And I know you're doing some work with some of those folks, too. And it is career influencers. How do we help those people better understand what the career opportunities are, what the career really is, and how they can help us define and encourage people to come into this profession in this industry? Yeah, career changes are a big piece. That's one of our main things that we focus on at the BLX internship program, because there are lots of people that may have not considered financial planning as a career path. And maybe they have all the soft skills that are transferable to this line of work, but perhaps they don't have the traditional experience that a lot of firms expect or require. And when we talk to the firms, we tell them if they're open enough, because it's easy enough for somebody to learn like the software, financial planning software, you know, that's really not the hard part of what we do. And some people have great success in just leaving their past career paths behind and switching over to financial planning because they've been given the opportunity like you were saying, to experience and decide, you know, is this something I want to continue? And some have been like, yes, this is great. I'm going to then start trying to get my CFP certification, starting with the SIE and all that, and eventually get into the industry where they probably wouldn't have had a direct path that they had access to other than the sales environment. Yeah, I'm glad you bring that up. So I know you're working on some diversity initiatives with Diversitas. Can you tell me about the 12 tribes methodology for career paths in the profession? Sure, that's great. And this absolutely goes out to the four colleagues of mine from around the country, program directors, who really built on and asked for input from a bunch of us, but really built it into the model that it is. And, you know, it started with an idea from Dr. Luke Dean at Utah Valley University, and then really grew with Dr. Nathan Harness at Texas A&M, Dr. Martin Say at Kansas State, and Dr. Craig Lemoyne at the University of Illinois. The four of them developed out, completed the model that we use, that we look at, and then presented it, talked about it, as said earlier in our conversation. They even have a series of eight videos on YouTube that walk through what the model is about. And so it's the 12 tribes of financial planning, the origin, I'm not even, you know, I think there's certainly a religious base to it as part of that, but it's really that it just is a great metaphor for what we're doing. And as we looked at it, it really was 12 areas that we look at. And so the model, and, and I encourage folks to go to our website, uh, diversitasfp.org. Under our resources tab, you'll find links to the videos. You'll find the model posted there, and it'll get you directly to the work that was led by Craig and Martin and Luke and Nathan. The idea is, is that the industry really is kind of based in three major areas. There's the more traditional area, which is where I came in, the insurance, the investment side of the industry, broker-dealers, 
some independent broker dealers. There's the advice side of the industry, which is where the RIAs sit, but we're also seeing that's where the research sits. The universities are on that advice side. So if you're interested in going into research, people don't think about, you can go and do become a researcher. You can become an academic researcher, or you can go to firms like Bloomberg or Morningstar or FactSet with a background in financial planning to be able to go into those firms. So if you love the analytical side of it, there's that. And then it's advice to the advisors in some cases along those lines. Or in my case, I ended up going the educational side of things. And there's a huge need for faculty, for teachers, professors at the college level and above. And you know, great programs at Texas Tech and Kansas State and Georgia. So that's more the advice side. And then there's more of them, depending on the model and kind of who you're talking to, they see it as kind of either the future or institutional. You think about the wholesalers who help to bring to the advisors all of the various investment opportunities, whether it's mutual funds or ETFs, or maybe it's alternatives now. We're hearing a lot of talk about alternatives Mm -hmm. and moving in that direction. So they bring that. It's the banking institutions, and it's the trust companies that are part of that. It's the fintech or the robo-advisors, or that falls into either some would call the future or some would call the institutional approach. And each of the areas, whether it's traditional advice or future areas, have different characteristics. Some are big. Some are well-established. They have set processes. Others are developing those processes. Others are more the RIA kind of lean back. But the other thing, they did a great job when you look at the model, if you kind of watch the colors, the colors start to transition, not at the borders of these three major areas, but they start to transition before you get to the borders. So while broker dealers and independent broker dealers tends to fall in the more traditional part of the model, they're really more advice. They carry over some more of the advice. They're really playing across that boundary, if you will. And so it's a very fluid model from that standpoint. And so, you know, it's one of the things that we really like about it. The other thing that they do in the conversation, and again, encourage people to go watch the series of videos, but they talk about the fact that there are a lot of firms that don't fall into one category within the area. If you think of somebody like Merrill Lynch and Bank of America, they're certainly traditional investment, but they're also banking, they're private wealth, they support RIAs and They've got products that they wholesale. And so all of a sudden, they're in maybe three or four different areas. And it's the idea that you look at like a BNY Mellon or you look at a Schwab where Schwab has the retail or BNY Mellon has their internal organization that supports RIAs, but they also have their banking side of things. Now you've got kind of open career paths. You can maybe start in one area, but if that's not the right area for you, Even within the firm, there's other opportunities. And so you can move into those other opportunities. And as we see a consolidation and, you know, an expansion of some of the RIA firms into bigger planning firms, we're even seeing some of that division in these RIAs where they've got folks that focus just on dealing with wholesalers or dealing with maybe high net worth folks like athletes and offering specialized services. And you can transition from those into planning, or you can go from planning into those. So having the background and the degree really sets the stage for you to have a lot of opportunities. 
And that model has really helped, especially those students who cry. Maybe they go to an RIA and it's just not something right there for them. They are more entrepreneurial. They want to help people. They want to place product or they've got a natural sales inclination. Hey, great. Let's get you over to these other opportunities that fall in line with those. And so it really is just a great opportunity for people to learn more. And so what we're doing, 2023 is the career paths year for Diversitas. So all of our programs are online, recorded, and available afterwards in our resource library. And so our February forum was around career paths. We introduced the 12 tribe models during a panel discussion with Craig Lemoyne leading that panel, one of the authors. Our April, then we looked at the advice side, and that was led by Dr. Luke Dean out of uh, Utah Valley. Martin Say is doing September. He's going to talk more about the traditional side of the industry. In November, we're going to talk about that future or institutional side, and Dr. Nathan Harness will lead that one. And so we're going to cover those areas a little bit more in depth through panel discussions, bringing in folks from the industry to actually talk about those areas and talk about their career paths and their transitions across the sectors within it or the areas within it, but even within the firms that they're with. Yeah, I, I can resonate with understanding like the different entry points into the profession. My first internship was with a wirehouse. My first full-time job was with an independent broker-dealer that was duly registered and we're selling these non-traded REITs and oil partnerships. And each stop, you know, you can pick up things that you like or don't like about it. Going back to Diversitas, you mentioned the visibility to students. I'm sure if Luis or I came in to speak to your students, it would land differently. You know, the saying of you can't be what you can't see mm -hmm. would really resonate with the students. Educating the general public about what financial planning can be and what the profession is, and then working on the next generation up and coming planners. Could you talk a little bit more about like the programming? How do you actually do this for your conferences? And how do you kind of engage with the public, the students, the influencers? What are some of the actual like programming and initiatives that you're doing? Sure. One of the things we did early on was there's a lot of smart people out in the industry. And there are some people that really see the future of the industry. There are people that are living in a traditional world and making changes and working towards more diversity. And, and I know we're not seen on this podcast, but I'm an older white male. I look like what the industry looks like now. I was a kid about that. You know, I see my role as an influencer. That's what I can be and support this. And so we're going to see you on TikTok. Is it? <laughs> <laughs> I do not have a TikTok account. I don't know that I ever will. My students finally got me to get an Instagram account because they're doing some things on Instagram for our student organization and I'm not seeing it. So I'm learning, I'm getting there. I'm a technology guy too. I love technology, but there's just so much. But so many things are changing so fast and just take me a little while to catch up. But I guess I had started early on, Sean, looking at it and saying, you know, my role can be to bring the right people into the room, the smart people into the committees. And so we're really fortunate to have people like Suzanne Syracuse, who had been the publisher of her investment news and doing some great consulting work and out there. And Kate Healy, her work at TD Ameritrade, her work at the CFP board, her work with the Foundation for Financial Planning has really been about the generation next. And that, you know, I love that concept of that next generation coming in. We've got, you know, Tanya Bottoms, one of the lead folks at BNY Mellon Pershing, who is on our advisory board. And we're really lucky to have these folks who 
saw what we wanted to do, this idea of education, really focusing on the human side of things and asking them to help guide us, help us to move things forward. One of the things that we did early on, and what was really interesting is the pandemic had its challenges for a lot of people. Our challenge was the other way in that, yes, we were doing in-person live events, and they were really just regional. They were really just the University of Akron, and we would reach out to like University of Pennsylvania, now Penn West, Edinburgh. We would invite our friends at Ohio State that have a program to come in and you know reach out around the state, but it was just really regional. We were running the program. When the pandemic hit, we were scheduled to have a program in the fall of 2020, and we're looking at canceling it. And instead, we talked to our speakers and said, should we take this online and do it as a virtual program? And oh, by the way, I was talking to some of my colleagues around the country, and they were looking for programming. We all were. How do we engage our students? How do we find ways to move them through this while we can't be in person? And so we decided to do a virtual program. I called up some friends. I sent some emails to folks that I knew. And we had 22 universities say, we want to partner with you on this. We want to join in on this. In some cases, it was mainly plan it, uh, give their input, but they're going to promote it. They're going to get their students. We went from 230 people in 2019 in person in Akron, Ohio, to over 600 people watching the program as we streamed it live in the fall of 2020. And that number has grown over to 700 now. We've got over 1,000 people that are following us now as part of our database, and we're reaching out and putting the programming out there. Diversitas is a fully virtual program. That was a decision that we made. We started with one time a year and realized there's just a lot more that we want to cover. There's a lot more that we want to educate folks on. And so we have a planning committee the, or the program. We have an advisory board. Out of that, we have a programming committee. We have a partner university committee. We ask our partner universities to engage with us. Both of those groups help us think about the kind of programming that we want to do. That's where this whole idea of career paths came from. I think the idea of next year, I'll, I'll take it back to our advisory board and our program committee. What if next year we talk about how to prep yourself? Preparing yourself for the industry might be the theme. And then we decided to add these forums. So quarterly, we're doing forums. We have our symposium in February. And then in later spring, early April, we have a forum, two forums in the fall. We do them in the semester platforms, knowing that summers are a little bit hard to get students to engage. Certainly focused heavily on students. But our partner universities, we're in excess of 25 partner universities now. We've got a number that we're still working towards. We're trying to get the agreements in place and stuff to be able to call in partner universities. But the idea is how do we engage with programming? And then we try to make it as flexible as we can. So if an organization wants to use our videos to lead a conversation, all they have to do is just register with us. It's a simple online form. They can download the videos and use them. I'll use CLA's extension program as an outstanding career changer financial planning program. Oh, I go that. That's where I went Is for my CFP. Well, I went for undergrad and for my UCLA extension for CFP. And so UCLA extension is one of our partner universities. And so this year, what they did is they actually took our February symposium. They didn't broadcast it live. What they did is actually use the recordings. They put on a symposium with their local FPA chapter. And diversity was part of the theme of that. And they showed our videos and then had discussions. 
as part of that. And that's what we're encouraging student organizations that are partnering universities. If there's other organizations that want to use our content, we're looking at doing that. And so we're trying to build a database and we're inviting our sponsors and our partners like VLX. If you've got a video that you'd like to put in our library to make available to folks, we'll post it there. We want to build a database and a resource for that kind of content. We don't want to be a job board, but we want to make it easy for people to find the job boards. We want to make it easy for people to find the internships or the externships, you know, working with Hannah Moore, with you, Lewis, the whole externship piece. We love doing that. That's the promotional piece that we want to be able to use our platform for. Yeah, well, it's amazing, Barry. I really appreciate all of the work that you're doing, and we're grateful for the opportunity to partner with you. So uh, as a wrap-up question, as you sit and look out forward, say, three years from now, how would you define success for a profession in regards to progress when it comes to DEI? You know, I think for me, and I know it's a slow-moving target, but in 2014, when the CFP board came out with their women's initiative, the white paper, we saw that 23% of financial of CFPs were women. And the numbers that were just reported recently, I think within the last year, we're still at like 23 or maybe 23 and a half percent. So I'd like to see those start to move. I think we're seeing some progress where we're seeing more people of color, more diverse backgrounds that are sitting for the exam, passing the exam. To me, it's that, that they're aware or that they're taking the exams, they're showing movement into the profession. I think the other piece of it is I would love to see the overall demographics. One of the things that we do at Diversitas that nobody has done, and we're getting ready to do our next round, it'll start again in the fall. Each year, we started to do an annual look at the partner universities. And what nobody had an idea of, nobody has put out the numbers, but we show that the financial planning degree programs are actually significantly more diverse than the industry right now. So just hiring students out of the financial planning programs will improve diversity in the firms. But how many firms know where the programs are? I'm amazed sometimes when I talk to somebody and maybe they're in Pittsburgh and they don't know that there's a great program in Edinburgh or there's a program in Akron or you know they're in Atlanta. They know about University of Georgia but do they understand fully that there's a great program there? And, or University of North Florida, the folks there. Again, sometimes we're regional, but even the people in our region don't know we're there. So I think anything that we can do to promote the understanding that there are great programs out there. And certainly we focus a lot on the degree programs, but the incredible certificate programs, like we talked about, Sean, with UCLA Extension. There are many ways to get the educational piece of this done. And I think there's opportunities for the industry to step up more and offer more scholarships to these different programs, to your internship program, to the externship programs. I think there's more opportunities for that. To me, that's three years from now. I'd love to talk about the fact we now get about $40,000 a year in scholarship money for our students, specifically for diversity. I'd love to say that all of my partner university members for Diversitas are all getting $50,000 a year in scholarships. You know, certainly big programs will get more, but there are a lot of small programs, a $5,000 scholarship or a $10,000 scholarship can be a huge step change issue for that program. 
Oh, absolutely. To attract students that retain students. I've got students that step out because they need to pay their bills or they're working 30, 40 hours a week. So scholarship money is really an important piece too. Yeah, absolutely agree with that. Thank you so much. So until we get Dr. Mulholland on TikTok, for now, you can learn more about Diversitas, diversitasfp.org. We're going to put a link in the show notes as well. Thank you so much for taking the time to come and speak with us for everything you're doing. Grateful for the partnership with Diversitas. And everyone, thank you for tuning in and stay tuned for other amazing guests that are doing just diversity in action. Thank you for being here. Thanks for having me. All right. Thanks for stopping by. Thank you for listening to the Diversity in Action podcast. To learn more about the BLX internship program and sign up for our newsletter, please visit our website at blxinternship.org.